Welcome to Creativity, the podcast where art and engineering collide. In this podcast, we discuss our personal creative endeavors, ranging from woodworking to electronics, art and life in general. My name is Max Maker, and this is my co-host, Jeremy S. Cook. Our guest this week is Anthony from the Proto-G YouTube channel. He's an electromechanical engineer by trade, and as you might expect, combines electrical and mechanical knowledge in various ways that are qu quite interesting. Hi. <laughs> great, great to have you. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. So first of all, Anthony, I, I see you just exceeded 20,000 subscribers on YouTube. Is that, Congratulations. Did you even know that? I, I just well, popped yeah. that up. And... You know, I, yeah, it happened maybe 15 minutes ago. So. Oh, wow. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's why we had you on here to, to celebrate your, uh, you know, big 20,000. 20, <laughs> oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, that's a big step. <laughs> so, yeah, you probably get recognized at the airport and, and such all the time, I, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, a lot of my videos have kind of been picking up speed lately. Uh, really, I think the I had the electromechanical display. That video kind of went semi-viral. It got four hundred thousand yeah. views. So that looked that really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I saw that. That looked that looks awesome. And so. and for the past couple of months, I've been trying to post a little more consistently as well. So. Yeah. Do you think that's yeah. been the? Because because I remember when I first you know first I guess started kind of following your stuff a little bit. I, I don't remember how many subscribers you had when you posted the, uh, ep how do you even pronounce that? Is it EEPROM or EPROM? I'm sure you know it. EEPROM, it's, it's, yeah, the EEPROM man, the, the little uh, sculpture I made. Uh, yeah. With the, you know, the arc, arcing in between the chip. It's, uh, those just the old school IC chips, the memory chips. That you would, uh, you know, it's got the window in it because when you program it, you cover that window with a sticker, and when you need to erase it, you would expose that chip to UV light, and it would erase the chip. So. Sure. Yeah, I, I thought it was awesome, uh -huh. but I don't think I don't think it came anywhere close to 500,000 views. That's that's incredible. No. <laughs> so. <laughs> no. Um, that that uh, electromechanical display that looked really nice, and I really want to use one of these displays now. Oh, they're great. You can find them on eBay too, uh, the yeah. individual ones. It's it's like the ones you have on uh, airports, right, or bus stops. Yeah, yeah. They they actually the ones I bought were from Poland, and they still use them over there for gas pumps and stuff. Yeah, our gas pumps have them here in Germany. Yeah, we don't have those here. We <laughs> we have digital displays. Yeah, because we live in the past. <laughs> Are they expensive? Uh, I think about ten bucks a piece. I mean. Okay. Expensive. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought you meant gas pumps. I've never actually priced one of those. So, um, yeah, you get gas for free in America, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know they price it by the gallon. I'm sure it's about the same price for a liter, right? Isn't yep. that how how they get you? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I pay like one euro for diesel, one fifty <laughs> for for uh, petrol, hmm. for one liter. For one liter, not well. a gallon. But I would love to get an electric vehicle, you know. I really like the idea. It's so simple, so neat. You don't need to exchange the oil or, you know, coolant and all of that stuff. Just charge it from time to time and change your bearings. That's what I imagine, at least. It's. I mean, it is pretty brilliant just the, so how few parts go into that compared to a, a diesel car or a gasoline car. Just you know, you've got so much, so much less going on, I guess. Kind of yeah. Have either nice. have either one of you driven in a Tesla before? Like actually been <laughs> I, in one? I, I had a date with a girl that worked for Tesla in Hamburg, oh. and she came with one of them, like a uh, Model S. It was a yeah. few years ago, and uh, the car was really nice. 
Yeah, it, it's amazing. The, uh, you know, the, I think the, the main thing is like the instant acceleration. You know, we're not used yeah. to that with a regular vehicle. Yeah. I screamed a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Which was my proudest moment. But she was really a lot into cars, like really much more than I was. And and I'm an engineer, you know. I should be the other way around. <laughs> anyway, the car was really nice. And especially the door handles, like they... Yeah, they come out. Sink. Yeah, so nice. Well, well now, Anthony, you're, a, I guess, a mechanical, electromechanical engineer by training and by trade, right? So. Yeah, so I'm, I actually have two jobs now. Um, so if you noticed, I've been using a pretty high-powered fiber laser in some of my recent videos, as well as some other equipment that I didn't even have access before. So earlier last year, the company I worked for purchased a sheet metal shop. And so right now I'm actually managing that entire shop while still supporting the other company. So for the parent company, I actually design antennas like for anti-shoplifting equipment. So okay. I design electronics oh, wow. for, the, for that. So, you know, when you walk so through... So RFID chips. Yeah, exactly. So if you walk through like a Walmart and, you you know, it beeps at you even though you didn't steal anything, you know, I, I designed... <laughs> I mean, that's what you would Different an antennas. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. But every everything that's really interesting. Everything nowadays is source tagged, so you know its tags are put in when it's getting manufactured in the you know like a, a drill, for example. You open up the handle, there's a tag inside of it. So you know, but drills they actually have an RFID uh, chip already in it, so you could most most of them, yeah. That's inside pretty, the handle. That's pretty interesting. I didn't, so I didn't even know if that. you thought thought even. Yeah, they usually have redundant tags, so there's a tag on the box as well as in the handle of the device, as well as uh, clothing. They sew it into some clothing and purses. I, I've never really talked about that on my channel, though, so <laughs> it's not really something I've uh, ever talked about. But it's a pretty cool industry, you know. Yeah, definitely. I worked with them at uh, university, like for my master thesis, but it was a group project with uh, some other students. And we were trying to find out, we had like hundreds of tags and we were trying to find out one, why do some of the tags have a better signal than others? And, you know, we're, we're mechanical engineers. We're not that into electronics. And we, the only thing we could uh, think of how to actually measure it to do some experiments is measure the actual lengths of the antennas and the geometry and a really fine microscope and try to link that to the signal strength data, you know, to find a correlation. We couldn't find anything. <laughs> But yeah, so I'm going to try to start doing more videos in the shop. So my most recent video is kind of, I, I thought it was kind of cool. I walked through the shop a bit and, uh, you know, cut some parts on the laser and then pressed in some sheet metal uh, hardware. You know, we have a bunch of press brakes and hardware inserters, milling machine, laser. And so after oh, after, nice. after, after 3.30, that's, I have complete access alone to that. It's amazing. You know, we work 7 a.m. to 3.30, so... Um, it's actually nice. It took me a while to kind of get used to waking up that early because I went from like nine o'clock in the morning to having to be there at seven a.m. So, Ooh. but I, I like the, the you know after three thirty being kind of I have the shop to myself. So I have a full length shear, which I, I don't even need the shear anymore because the laser cuts half inch steel. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, the laser we we wow. so the parent company purchased it earlier last year and the first thing we wanted to do is get a fiber laser and uh, you know there's fiber lasers and then there's co2 lasers and so fiber lasers are much better for 
uh, cutting stainless steel and copper and aluminum uh, co2 lasers can do it it just they have a harder time with it so but the fiber lasers i can cut um 062 uh i don't know what that is in uh, millimeters for you max but uh, let me see <laughs> 062 stainless so about 1.5 millimeter stainless steel i cut that 1100 yeah. it 1100 inches a minute whoa that's, wow that's crazy it's in it it's insane like some of the videos like i i did the video with the living hinges you know it looks like it's sped up like i did speed it up at some point in the video where i put the label but you know even the real-time footage it just it doesn't look real that's amazing it's crazy so so as far as your your work goes i mean you're, you're there by yourself but as far as I mean, if somebody, let's say your boss sees the video of you in the shop and stuff, or do they know about that? Is it, did you negotiate that somewhere? Yeah, yeah. So, how, did, how did that work out? Okay, so let's rewind back to uh, college. Okay, so I did, I started working at a machine shop in college. I just kind of knocked on the door and started sweeping the shop and, and everything. And uh, the last two years of college, I spent two summer semesters at nasa i actually worked at kennedy space center oh wow and, and that, you floridian you know, I, guys that's amazing i i know you know ucf was actually uh founded to pump out technical employees for nasa so they have a pretty good relationship so that i feel like that kind of helped me get in the door there and i learned quite a bit of you know everything at nasa you know i had a guy teach me how to weld you know, and he would be behind me tweaking the settings on the machine. And he's like, is that too hot? Is that too cold? Or is that, you know, if it's a MIG, am I feeding it too fast or not fast enough? So, I mean, I, uh, I was ready to go back to NASA after I graduated. I had stuff lined up and I was, uh, my wife, at the, my, my now wife, but my girlfriend at the time, uh, her father needed help and he's in South Florida and, and he actually is the president and CEO of the parent company. So he's like, Hey, I need your help. And, uh, they had this like big thing that was going on. They needed me to design some stuff. So I decided to, you know, bite the bullet. And, you know, some of my family members didn't quite agree with that. You know, why don't you just go with NASA versus, uh, you know, a smaller company, but I, I'm really glad that I did what I did. And I'd, I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond versus a, a small fish in a big pond kind of thing. Yeah, sure. And I mean, yeah. it doesn't look it's like worked, that small. It's worked, out it's worked out great. Yeah. No, no, but like, it's not some, NASA. Sometimes but... I wish like I, I would have applied to Apple or something like that, you know, and work at Silicon Valley. But then I think if I was actually, you know, even, you know, it's difficult to get into Apple. If I was working there, I would have just designed a screw or something like that. <laughs> not yeah, even something important. I, I've, I've actually mentioned that kind of thing to people before. Like at NASA, you, if you're designing something, you're going to be designing a tiny part of a larger thing. And now there's nothing against that. That That's cool. But I really like the larger control you have in yeah. a smaller company. Or something that doesn't even go into the spaceship or into the iPhone. Yeah. A creative control over the design, you know. Yeah. You just designed the, the button that starts the machine that makes the iPhones. Space diaper or something. So. So, so yeah, the, the, you know, the president CEO is my father-in-law. So I'm, I married his daughter a couple of years ago. So, I mean, it's a pretty good relationship we have. He's, he's happy to let me, you know, I go in there on the weekend and, um, make videos. So as long as it's not interrupting with, you know, customer parts or, you know, I don't do it on my regular work schedule. So 
that's, that's yeah. awesome so that's cool yeah that's really good having such a workshop in your free time yeah and uh you know my videos have actually helped me out with my work before like it, it's funny because like sometimes i'll make stuff that don't doesn't really have a purpose you know and then uh people will be like what's that for like, oh, well it's not really for anything i just kind of wanted to make it you know and so it's so many times it's actually come in handy it's like oh i made something kind of similar that i can use and then uh you know that ends up helping out nice. yeah you made this pick and place robot recently what is that about uh, well, I'm still kind of working on that. Or, or it, still working on it. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's going to be a Delta robot. I've always wanted to make a Delta robot. I just think they're just fascinating to look at. <laughs> and uh, now I have access to all this equipment. Why not? So I can laser cut, you know, bracket mounts and bend sheet metal mounts for the motors. And, uh, you know, I can go through three revisions in less than an hour because the laser <laughs> cuts so quickly it's like uh, seriously like uh, that the one i uh, most recent video that shows the camera mount that i made that was like rev four but it only took me an hour to get four revisions <laughs> i was like you know i wanted a little different than this and then i tweaked it and you know uh and, I, and I, before you know we have a turret punch too which is awesome and i should probably do a video on that sometime it's got 40 tool holders in it and it punches oh Shima. wow <laughs> You know, it rotates. So it punches all kinds of holes and square and, holes and and shapes. So you know, the laser beats oh, wow. the laser beats the 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 turret punch most of the time. But when it comes to repetitive shapes and holes, you know, bang, 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 bang. You know, I think it's like 600 hits a minute or something. And you're not going to beat. You know, the, the laser is not going to beat the turret in that case because I can get a custom tool made, whether it's an aub round or a triangle or you know whatever it happens to be. So it's really great having both of them now. So, and, you know, a laser can't cut louvers, you know, like uh, embossment type features. So it's good yeah. having both. Okay. So it can um, press a little bit, you know, more softer to just leave an uh, impression. Yeah. Or, without going you know, through. You know, like a louver is the, those, it's like a, it's like kind of like Events? a. Events? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so the the punch can do that, but the laser can't. So there's ah, oh, of course, you have dies for standard louvers. That's uh -huh. useful. It's kind of funny the way that whole work, the whole thing worked out because at the parent company, I designed a lot of sheet metal enclosures and the electronics and uh, you know PCB layout and board design, and so I would design it all. And then this company happened to be one of our vendors. So I was already really f familiar with everybody that worked there and I already was familiar with the tooling. So I, I knew how to design enclosures. Uh, I got a lot of experience really early on with sheet metal enclosures, which is way more complicated than most people realize uh, when it comes to bending, you know, uh, stretch allowances, bend deductions and uh, all, all of that, you know, 99% of the drawings I get are wrong. <laughs> I have to fix them anyway. Yeah, that's what I'm working with at the moment because uh, for work, um, I, I've got this, some components that I want to replace with sheet metal parts and mm -hmm. you know, getting them laser cut is really easy and there are lots of suppliers here, but then not many of them also do the um, press breaking. Whether if, if I ship it to a different company, I can't be 100% sure that they do it the right way, you know, press it at the right uh, at, at the right place so they end up with the right uh, dimensions at the end. So I'm thinking about buying my own press just so I can do that part and get everything else laser cut. At the moment, I don't think I can um, 
give them the exact place where they have to bend it to get the right uh, size shape. But if they're familiar with that, they should already be used to that. Like I said, I, I rarely ever get a drawing that's right. And I, I almost expect that now to the point where, it, you know, th there's a lot of things you would have to know to even get it right in the first place. So if you drew gave okay. me an enclosure and I gave you back my changes, those changes are for my shop. It might be different for another shop because it really depends on the tooling they're using to form the stuff. You know, yeah. we use we use a seven thousandths of an inch radius nose, you know, press brake die most of the time. And unless, you know, you're kind of designing it differently, the next shop over might use something else more commonly than we do. So we always end up working with people anyway. So I, so mean, I could just they, tell them, like, make a U bracket that's 10 millimeters wide and they will just dial it in by hand. Yeah, just if you could, it like on the drawings just call out what's not critical like if the inside radius is not critical it makes it so much easier yeah. on the shop to just say okay that they don't need that quarter inch they just wrote they just put that there quarter inch yeah. inner you know the radius on the bend because otherwise <laughs> i'm gonna have to retool the machine up uh, you know uh versus i'm already running these parts hey i can throw these right in line next in line without having to take the tooling off the right. machine so if you can just say not critical, this radius isn't critical, you know, stuff like that. And also do not uh, make one part that's bent up with a ton of different flanges with different radiuses on every one. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I've, I've seen, and these are smart, great engineers. It's just, you know, without talking to me first, they're not gonna really know. So yeah, just yeah. You know, reach out. I added Art. once we had this one part. Uh, we had lots of holes. They were all around six millimeters, but they were CNC cut. So whether it's six or six point one or five point nine or six point five, which are all six millimeter nominal holes, um, it didn't matter. But then they were actually drilled by hand, and we got lots of calls like, sure. "Can this hole be six millimeters? Can this <laughs> hole be six millimeters? Because I just have a six millimeter drill." Yeah, we're actually looking to get a press break from Belgium. Um, the company that our laser is from is actually from Belgium, so uh, they have a lot of sheet metal equipment there. Nice. Are you gonna have to go over there and? Or get something yeah. from Germany if you want quality, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. But I mean, I'm sure I'm sure German companies make crappy stuff too, right? Right, Max? N nothing so far. No, everything was really, really good. <laughs> well, even you know, China gets a bad rap because. I've seen some stuff out of China that's amazing, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. Everyone, every in country our fab lab, makes... we've got a Chinese laser that's great, and it costs a fraction of what it would have cost from Germany. It's not very safe. <laughs> we had to add uh, all the safety switches because it would run with the in case uh, with the case open. In uh, 2016, I had the craziest like contract kind of land in my lap, and I never made any videos about it. I couldn't really. Um, I could talk about. It. I just can't go into like super details. But this uh, it was for a local board house. We have a, a few local board houses with a ton of pick and place machines, like giant Samsung machines. And uh, they had a guy, crazy mad scientist type guy, knocked on his door. And uh, they called me up. They said, hey, we know you like high voltage stuff. You know, I have a lot of videos that are earlier that are, you know, have <laughs> a high voltage sure. to them, right? So I, I met with the guy and uh, he wanted a 1.6 million volt power supply. All right. And I, <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. And I was like, give, give hey, him a, ca a camera flash. I was like, right, you know what you're asking for? And he, he had certain current output uh, 
of limitations that he needed and it had to be DC. So I built this thing. It was massive, uh, 14 feet tall. Um, <laughs> and, and it actually did output 1.6 million volts. It was a huge uh, custom flyback transformer and I designed the driver circuit for it and everything. And the owner, wow. of the, build, the owner of the building was scared to turn it on. And I was kind of with him on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember it was a couple of years ago, we decided to turn it on for the first time. And, uh, you know, we put it on an extension cord and uh, turned it on with a, a stick. <laughs> and all the lights in the whole warehouse were off. And when we flicked this thing on, the, all the lights in the warehouse started flickering. Because, uh, you know, just the electrons and ions hitting the fluorescent tubing, oh, you know. scary. And, wow. uh, so, so what was the power of that thing? Was it like a kilowatt or 20 kilowatt? Or... It, the output was, was very low and it was adjustable. But, you know, the, at the beginning he wanted, uh, I'll just say, you know, 1.6 million volts and then in the microampere range. And then, okay. but he wanted it adjustable, but we were arcing this thing in a quartz tube, really long quartz tube. And, uh, it was amazing. And I, I got to buy capacitors, you know, these huge like capacitors that were hundreds of dollars a piece. And, uh, <laughs> same thing with the diets. Like I just got to play with stuff. I would never get to play with it. This guy wasn't crazy. Like I told him up front, like, this guy's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was so awesome. And I actually b built the guy five different uh, high voltage uh, devices. So I built one at 1.6 million, one at 200,000, one at 100,000, and two at 50,000. So I have I have more experience with high voltage sure. than I want to have. <laughs> I, I I don't. That, <laughs> yeah. That makes it sound like he did it for fun. Was no, this a commercial I, thing? No, it, it was it was research. He was. Uh, a real mad scientist. He just didn't know anything about electronics. Oh. He was a physicist. And, uh, you know, he, he knows <laughs> some things about electronics, like, you know, some of the uh, theories, but really he couldn't design his way out of a cardboard box kind of thing. Um, when it comes to electronics, he, we had arguments sometimes like that. He just wasn't understanding it. And, uh, you know, he thought that, uh, I don't even want to get into him. I had a lot of problems with him, but you yeah. know, he paid me, so it's I kept the, making him stop. That's always the kicker if they pay you or not. But, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, but it was awesome. I got to, uh, you know, I don't think I'll ever do any high voltage stuff again, but I actually reached out. I got so like, like I was very stressed out at the time because it was before I was getting married and I wanted to kind of take on the contract so I could pay for the honeymoon and everything. And, mm -hmm. uh, I got to, somehow got in contact with a guy from Fermi Labs, which is, uh, you know, the United States that kind of uh, Fermi Labs was one of the labs that helped build the atomic bomb. And there was a lot of high voltage stuff. If you look into uh, Cockcroft Walton multipliers, that's essentially what I built, but a giant one, like 14 feet tall. And I paid the guy, I said, I'll pay you, you know, he, he we just kind of had a consulting and he, uh, he looked over my design. He said, it's great. I was just going to say, as, as far as the, um, you know, maybe to go back to Epron Man, how, how was that How was that safe? What, what is the Epron Man? Can you describe it to the listeners? Okay, so, you know, I took I took one of these, uh, you know, high voltage modules you find on uh, eBay that says, like, they say like 400,000 volts, right? But they're not. They're, they're more like 10,000 volts. And 
anyway, I put that in a little unit and I, I kind of made a robot looking, almost looks like Bender from Futurama. Uh, it looks like a robot and he's holding these two wires and uh, I, I, I kind of lucked out. I didn't actually plan it to arc through the window in the IC chip, but it turned out like really awesome. And uh, yeah, it's just, there's not enough current coming out of that thing and it's not, uh, you know, I still wouldn't use it around you know, my Uncle Paul, who's got a pacemaker or anything. Okay. Because I've got one of those power supplies, and I've just always been a little bit hesitant to actually turn it on. So I guess, I don't know. Maybe I still will be. Okay. So so DC, so DC high voltage, okay, that's the best kind to deal with because uh, you can use the what's called the one-hand rule. As long as you leave one hand behind your back, chances are if, if I stuck my hand in that, it would just burn the skin off my finger. Like, not instantly, but, you know, it's not going to make a path through my heart or anything unless I physically grab one side with my left hand and right. one, the other wire with my right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. if, if you keep one hand behind your back, you know, worst case, you, your hand gets burnt. Now, when you're talking about AC high voltage, then that's when you got to be careful because your body's actually a capacitor oh. to ground. So, uh, you know, you want to be careful with AC high voltage, like coming from a neon sign transformer. It's very deadly even if you have one hand behind your back. But DC uh, high voltage is great. You know, those modules are DC high voltage. Like I, like I said, as long as you touch and handle it with one hand, there's no risk, really. Unless you have a pacemaker or a bad heart or something like that. Yeah, because I was wondering on that video when you stick your tongue in between the two leads, I thought, you know, that's probably not safe. But I guess that was fine, right? <laughs> Yeah, I, I can I can stick my hand in between. You know, I've no, I've done just, that before. So. He, he didn't really do that, bro. Don't 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 anybody listen to this. Try that. No, I know. Yeah, don't 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 do that. But it, it really would just burn your tongue, honestly. Yeah. One the one one tongue rule, <laughs> which is totally fine. Yeah, one tongue one tongue rule, one hand rule. You know, I I, I don't I, even touch the leads of my car battery. Yeah, I, I had so many high voltage videos I wanted to post. I just I just didn't feel comfortable posting them because it's uh, just too dangerous. You know, you got to be careful. <laughs> I don't like really posting that stuff anymore. You know, I've got a question about that because I'm building an electric hydrofoil at the moment. Mm -hmm. I've got the the board done, so um, the actual surfboard that's done, and the video is coming out soon. And now I'm starting to design the propulsion unit. So I've got uh, lithium-ion batteries, and uh, that's pretty much sorted. Now I'm looking at the motor, and I've got two options. I've got a 50 volts motor or a 100 volts motor. And we are not quite sure which one is more dangerous. Uh, they, they both have the same output in total. So 100 volt DC, is that a problem if it DC? gets wet? Is it DC? Yeah. I mean, I would probably prefer the 50 volt but um depends on the motor if it's rated to be ran underwater then um no it's I, from china and it costs a hundred dollars <laughs> i i yeah i don't know is there any way you can uh, kind of water weatherproof it or uh yeah it, it gets well the motor the 100 volt motor i is an in runner mm -hmm. um and it needs that 100 volts to get the same power as an out runner Mm -hmm. at the same size basically but the in runner i can waterproof the out runner i cannot because the out runner needs to be directly water cooled so the out runner will just end up in the water just like it is i probably epoxy coated a little bit mm -hmm. um yeah that's the plan so 
so far I thought I had to go with 50 volts and seems like you I mean 100 that. I mean 100 would be fine but you would really have to uh you really want to make sure everything is sealed because especially if it's salt water or anything like that Yeah Yeah it's it's really challenging the whole motor thing these uh, planetary gearboxes which are nice um, the companies um, we've got lots of companies in Germany that build them and they do really good stuff but they all built them um, they custom build them so you have to order one and they build it and in four months you get it and if you burn that one up you have to another four months till you get another one so I tried to go without the um, the planetary gearbox and go direct drive well I was I was kind of switching over to the the, the, the Delta robot I was gonna do direct drive but I kind of switching to uh, planetary gearbox route. Have you got one yet? I ordered uh, six of them, actually. I ordered three for a NEMA 17, and I ordered mm -hmm. three three for a NEMA uh, 34. Well, 34 is huge. Well, because the, the, well, so, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the NEMA uh, standard, it's like an American standard, but it's basically global now. So NEMA 17 yeah. means 1.7 inches, you know. That's the one you have on your 3D printer. Yeah, those are the most common for 3D printers. So when you see like NEMA 34, that means 3.4 inches. And then uh, NEMA 23 is 2.3 and NEMA 34 is 3.4. So, yeah, uh, so that's but, 31 millimeters. Yeah, so the reason I went with the gearbox was not because I needed the torque, but the resolution. So um, that allows me to take, you know, 16th micro steps and then also, you know, divide that by uh the five which i'm the gear ratio i'm i'm it's a reduction so i'll be able to get a lot more resolution out of the individual steps you know most of the stepper yeah. motors are 1.8 degrees per step so so yeah. are you doing a you're doing a pick and place yeah. like a pcb pick and place with that or are you doing something something else with that delta robot i just always wanted to get into kind of uh machine vision so i want to start by maybe i have a bunch of marbles with different colors and it's going to pick them and sort them out by colors and shapes and possibly play jenga and stuff like that <laughs> you know uh <laughs> it, it was really ju really just a learning experience uh for me you know our uh, buddy pocket 83 mr 83 yeah. as we call him he just released a video uh, where he built a marble sorting machine and lots oh, uh, of yeah. cool ways to sort marbles which yeah. i've never thought about yeah i've actually i think i saw the one where the different size marbles would fall down the uh the sloped track you know Really? yeah 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 that's cool stuff but he really had a me methodology to this a problem i never even considered <laughs> but it's quite interesting so how do you go into machine vision like you know i, I guess a, a lot of our listeners are uh, used to arduino but then how do you actually get the computer to understand pictures so i'm actually going with this camera called a pixie cam and i think it was a kickstarter several years ago but uh, I looked up several different options to go. So PixieCam is great because it'll actually interface with the Arduino IDE. And that's what I'm actually going to use because it's just more accessible to people. And uh, there's also another one called OpenMV. But uh, OpenMV will be good if you want your project to have facial tracking. Okay. There's, mm -hmm. a, lot, there's a lot of libraries already built for that. And... For the, for the pixie cam the reason i wanted to go with that there isn't facial tracking but there is uh 50 frames per second tracking speed so the tracking speed on that is significantly better most of the others are 30 frames per second so if i want to track marbles that are rolling uh 
on a platform and I want the, the, the machine to actually predict the path and, uh, you know, so more than just picking up and, and pick dropping, it up, I want it to kind yeah. of predict the paths and stuff like that. So I need the speed and it'll, it'll, uh, output just with I squared C kind of protocol where it, it tells you the location and size of a certain color. You know, you can set like 16 different colors up and, uh, as well as not only colors, but, um, patterns. So let's say you, you set a, a pattern, uh, blue over red as a pattern and you can have your robot, if you put stickers on every door in your house, that robot would know that's a door. You know, little things like that, where it's not just a color, it's looking for a pattern. So the camera does the detecting? Yep. So it has a little microprocessor on it that it, yeah, it's got like understands a, what it sees. Yeah, yeah, it's got a, like FPGA on it, I believe. Okay, that makes it Something a bit more easier, I guess, if you yeah. have a, and it's already baked know, in. a starting point. Yeah, yeah. So, and same thing with the OpenMV. It's great because these cameras are coming out and the camera already has the, the, the hard work done and you just have to process that and uh, figure out what to do with it. Man, so when you, when you get your, your Delta bot done, are you going to make like a, just thinking you make like a big um, mosaic with it? It would be like an auto mosaic machine, right? Yeah. Oh, a puzzle solver, you know, yeah, just add so a puzzle, things. dump it somewhere and then it sorts the puzzle for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, I got Chinese, I have Chinese checkers. So that's what I'm going to first do is just have it, you know, start simple, uh, just getting it, picking the different colors, putting them in a bucket and then having it dump the bucket over and start, you know, just basically on repeat. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of want to take that to a trade show it, just because I think it would be awesome. You know, our company has trade shows and it's not related to what we do, but I mean, it kind of is. There's a lot of sheet metal involved. We go to manufacturing trade shows and mm -hmm. uh I, I, I think that something like this at the booth would really like it would attract people like me. Uh, I would want to go look at it, you know, even though that yeah. it's Delta not... robots are so nice to look at. Yeah. They're, they're fast, they're agile, precise. Yeah, it's really great. So. And anything that moves is always good on the trade show. Yeah, yeah, it just kind of attracts attention. So. Yeah. And, and the right kind of attention because, uh, you know, we've hired models before and, and that, that attracts attention, <laughs> but that yeah. doesn't attract the, uh, it doesn't attract the right kind of attention. <laughs> it, it just, uh, I think uh, st other stuff like a, like a speaker or, you know, I'm not really a good speaker. I never really liked speaking, even in my videos. I, I didn't, after I started posting videos, it took me two years to actually start speaking in my videos. Um, and, uh, you know, my brother-in-law kind of pushed me to start speaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I've struggled with too. It's, it's like, it, it takes a lot to put your voice on there and say, okay, I'm going to talk about this. I think it helps you in, in, in real life too. I mean, if you had to make a presentation now, I, I would be, I'd be shocked if you, if I, or you or, or Max wasn't better at it now than we would have been before actually doing this on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. It's made my public speaking and I, uh, you know, I have meetings with other clients and I just, I feel like it, it has helped quite a bit. Like I had a, I was maybe 22 or so. I had a, a speech at NASA and you're talking about a, a speech in front of like 30, like super brains. And I'm like sweating bullets because I'm just like, you're, you know, I'm just nervous. You know, I got all these really <laughs> smart people watching me, but at the end of the day, it actually worked out great because none of them knew what I was talking about because my project was different than what they were working about. So at Kennedy Space Center, I worked at the cryogenic test laboratory. And 
one of the projects I worked on, it was, you know, you had a tank of fuel. Now, when you take a tank of fuel to space, you, it's very difficult to tell how much fuel you have in it. You can't weigh it. You know, you, you like, how do you tell? You can't put a, you can't put a, a fill line on the side of the tank because you can't see, you know, it's floating around, it's sloshing around. So I worked with my mentor on this project where we took uh, several sensors and we put it on this tank and it made uh, mechanical vibrations. And then we took all that sensor data and we used a lot of different uh, algorithms, uh, fast Fourier uh, transforms, and turn that into uh, a, an actual representation of the fluid volume. So, you know, you have these vibrations going through the tank. No matter how the liquid is sloshing, we can still correlate how much fuel is in it. So yeah, it's, but it's really a just an estimate. Estimate versus the other only way they've had to do it before is to actually release some of the gas. Waste fuel was the only way to measure how much fuel was in it. Uh, I actually replicated that in a basketball, and I could tell how much air was in the basketball based on the same kind of uh, principle. So that's where I really <laughs> I started learning about wow, microcontrollers was at uh, actually at NASA, and no one there knew what Arduino was, and I was like <laughs> the man. <laughs> They're like, what is this? I'm serious. I, I, <laughs> I brought Arduino to Kennedy Space Center, and I got a bunch of these older nerds to buy, buy them. You know, I, I, one of my first projects was, uh, an automatic plant watering system where it would, you know, detect the soil moisture and then trigger the, the solenoid and then water the plants. And that was, uh, I think in 2012 and, uh, yeah. So like, I just had a bunch of, uh, gray beards who were like, Oh, pick, pick or pick is the only way to go. And that kind of attitude, but I changed a lot of their, <laughs> their minds. So that was pretty fun. I had a, s a similar introduction to Arduino. I uh, at university I built a 3D printed uh, uh, hand, like uh, a, how do you call it, yeah. prosthetic? Uh... Prosthetics? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So at university I built a 3D printed uh, prosthetic hand, and I wanted to automate it. And Arduino was, you know, they just said use just use an Arduino. But a friend of mine told me, and then I looked into it. And that actually made me learn Arduino. And I'm so glad I did this project because otherwise I would have never come in contact with Arduino, you know, actually doing something with it. I, I would have known what it is maybe, but it's just so simple to learn and to automate stuff, which in the past, you know, you would have, have to buy a PCB and Edget and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So yeah. I'm, re I'm really glad we have them have, now. Have you guys and, done and so anything with well. uh, PICS before? Microchip no, I never have. PICS. You? Yes, yeah, so nope. I have, and I can appreciate Arduino even more because of that. <laughs> it's just like, it's such a pain. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people still prefer them. I just don't like assembly language. You know, I just find the Arduino environment and, you know, the, the whole Python C thing they got going on. It's just easier to read, I think. And most importantly, you have so many resources, so many yeah, tutorials. Yeah. You know, whatever you want to do, you just Google it and you probably find somebody that already yeah. did it. All right, maybe we should move on to progress. Uh, Anthony, so what I'm have you done this week? I'm trying to get my electromechanical display to play music. So I've downloaded some, uh, you know, snare drum solos and different uh, tap dancing routines. And I've, <laughs> and, and I've actually, <laughs> that, that kind of fits, uh, <laughs> you know, and I pulled, I pulled that into the audio program called Audacity. You guys are probably familiar with that. 
it's an open source yeah audio and so i yeah. actually found a way to right. easily get all the delays from the different beats that and then i'm actually pulling that into arduino and programming the clicking of the displays so i'm going to try to get that done so i think that'll be cool that sounds really cool so it's not oh, just a display. Yeah, I think it just sounds cool. Yeah, speaker. clicking reminds me of a, either tap dancing or a snare drum kind of. So, so what about you, Max? Is there anything you've uh, you've worked on this? Yeah, week? I've been sanding and sanding and sanding my surfboard. Uh, this was this project was like 90% just sanding, because uh, I apply epoxy and fiberglass and I sand, then I find holes. I add more epoxy and fiberglass and I sand again. But it's finally done now. So, uh, it's painted. It's black, white, bronze, and gold. Uh, I've got pictures on my Instagram. Yeah, I'm quite happy with how it turned oh, out. Cool. And now I really need to start working on the motor and the electrics. But it's it's getting there. And I think it's going to be a good end product once I'm done. And I'm glad this is finished now. So you can actually see that it is something. Because in its raw state without the paint, it really looks really bad. <laughs> like I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. Now, are you still gonna put um put people's names on that or something? Is that are you still doing that? Uh, yeah, that... actually, yeah. Uh, <laughs> everybody that's uh, supporting me on Patreon, their names will end up on that board, probably on the brass plaque. Uh, I haven't decided yet uh, how I'm gonna put them on there, but you know, if you support me on Patreon, um, you're gonna end up on the board, which is going to be yeah, that's pretty cool. Something special. <laughs> nice. That should be fun. And you, Jeremy? So, uh, so this week I got done my. Um, a soldering holder like a like a helping hand assembly so when you solder stuff it'll be a little bit easier to hold use some lock line style coolant hose which it's funny i ordered it from you know my i guess my favorite chinese supplier and it it's not quite as good as maybe the genuine article but the price was the price was right so that was that was good yeah it turned out turned out really well um it'll be nice to use that a little bit easier are you making a video about it yeah, I made it. Made a video about it. Yeah, I'll, oh, I'll, I'll take I'll a look at it. that. I was out and about. Yeah, I actually guessed that on your. You know, you, you tweeted the, uh, the the drawing there, and I was like, at least it looks like a helping hand, <laughs> or a power supply. That that's the hardest part of soldering, you know, just yeah. aligning the cables. Oh yeah, I just I just hate it. I, I yeah. shouldn't say I hate it. It's 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 frustrating because it's like you just expect. You know, well, I should just screw something in or whatever. But the soldering, you've got to actually put soldering it is a good exercise you know. <laughs> to do with your partner. Huh. Oh, yeah. I should also mention I went to a Harbor Freight this oh, week. Oh, nice! What did you get? I got a, a storage box. And <laughs> I I don't know how many Harbor Freight uh, tape measures I have in my house because <laughs> they have like the coupons where you can get a free, you know, <laughs> tape measure with every purchase. So. I, I, you can never have too many tape measures, so I mean I have them everywhere, and uh, also the screwdrivers. Sometimes they give away the screwdrivers, and I have two oh, Harbor yeah. Freights like right near me. I forgot to bring my coupons <laughs> with me this time, so I'm like, oh, I gotta pay, you know, whatever, 25% more for this storage. I have an app. Uh, there's a few apps that I just I look it up uh, on my phone, and I like I never even have to remember to bring my coupon with me. Maybe I'll have to do that, so it'll be good. <laughs> I forget my well, coupon. Uh, well, it will cool. be especially well, uh, bad because I have to fly back home to Europe to get it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, if you're here on vacation, then I know you like to oh, yeah. visit Harbor Freight. Yeah. When I'm you're coming here, over you know. there someday, and then we go to Harbor Freight together. So, so, so Anthony, um, you know, we've heard about your projects and stuff. If somebody wants to see see you, what, where do where do they find you? On, on the, the internet, or not in real yeah, life. On the internet. 
Yeah, it, you know, if you search Protege on YouTube, it pops up. And uh, I also have an Instagram. It's just, uh, I think, at Protege42, I believe. And then the same thing for Twitter. Uh, don't really post a lot on Twitter. Uh, but, you know, here and there. And you, Jeremy? You can find me at uh, on YouTube if you look up Jeremy S. Cook. Or on Twitter, I'm also Jeremy S. Cook. So that's what I... Pretty creative, you know. I'm, I save my creativity for the creativity podcast. So, what, <laughs> what, what about you, Max? Where, uh, where can we find you? Uh, my Twitter handle is at max underscore maker underscore yt for YouTube, and you can also check me out on Instagram. Uh, that's max underscore maker underscore YouTube. And the best way to follow me is basically the Max Maker YouTube channel, and my Patreon, of course. I post everything there that I do. So yeah, I think this is uh, time to end the show. But thanks, Anthony, for coming by and was really good talking to you and you know we are a big fan of your youtube channel and we hope you keep outputting as many videos as you do at the moment because it's really a lot recently well uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for so much, thank, yeah thanks for having me on it's uh, my first podcast ever so uh i think oh, it was wow. pretty 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 cool experience yeah thanks for and having congrats me. again for the twenty thousand subscribers <laughs> yeah i gotta go uh, celebrate this weekend <laughs> yeah yeah from the 30 bucks you get from YouTube this month, you can buy a bottle yeah. of champagne. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you for listening to Bye. this, and we'll see you next time.